Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast, recording today at the London Podcast Studios. And they look very nice too. I'm Matt Deegan. On the show today, a telly special where we unpack the 2023 TV BAFTA nominations, assess reports of a streamer slowdown, plus AI ghostwriting raises questions in Hollywood. And in this week's deep dive, James Ball explains the TikTok shutdowns. And finally, we cover some new launches in the Media Quiz. That's all coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. In the news this week, the BBC's Red Slate, you've seen it, it's on the HD channels during local news bulletins. Well, it's getting its final airing. The rotating graphics being switched off after the broadcaster completed satellite upgrades to its regional services. The regional programming will now be available in HD along with the rest of the BBC One schedule. Journalists have expressed concern over new draft guidelines from the College of Policing that would make it harder to discover the names of people charged with crimes. The News Media Association and the National Union of Journalists have expressed concerns that the change would lead to secrecy and damage the public's right to know. And the Audio Fund pilot drew to a close this week. £3.4 million has been distributed to over 91 small businesses to make great radio content. But now on today's show, I've got two media masters in person. Very exciting. In touching distance uh, of two brilliant people. We're welcoming back Boyd Hilton, Entertainment Director of Heat Magazine and Pilot TV Podcaster. How have you been? I have been uh, fantastic, thank you very much. What's yes. been going on? I've been on to various juries, you know, mm-hmm. for awards. We're going to talk about the uh, BAFTA, spoiler yes. alert. But you're not allowed to say, if you're on a BAFTA jury, as I'm sure Scott has been as well, <laughs> which one you've done, because ah, it's, it's top secret until the yes. day of the BAFTAs itself, in case you're, you know, I don't know, an assassin is sent to, <laughs> to kill you because you voted for the wrong thing. Have you always been on the same sort of programme, or do you do they mix you around? They mix it around, yeah. This year's one, I'm not going to say what it was, which category it was, but it was a very, it was a very, very important, I mean, they're all important, <laughs> don't get me wrong, but it, I felt Here particularly... We go. Which one's the most important, boys? <laughs> well, you know, I wouldn't like to say, but, no, I'm not going to... I'm not, uh, you're trying to catch me out there. Yes, so clever. Um, exactly. Yeah. But it was particularly interesting and exciting. Yes. Okay, we'll talk about that more in a bit. <laughs> also with us, as already mentioned, TV critic and co-host of the Must Watch podcast, it's Scott Bryan. Hello. Hello. You've got a busy evening. You've got this. And then are you off to the British Museum? Yes, to see Succession. Oh, oh we're all off to the British oh, Museum. Oh, right? I'm jealous off never. I mean, I'm just here to like empty the bins afterwards. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame, really. Scott and I are rivals. You do realise that. The yes. must-see, whatever it's called. Then, <laughs> wow. And, and the Pilot TV podcast. Yes. 
they are complete rivals. I mean, you know, yeah. and yet we have a great fondness for each other. I'm we sure. Do. I'm sure that you have a large crossover audience. What I love is when we chat, and then we're like, "I heard your review of Blair. You're completely wrong, <laughs> by the way." And then it's a lovely little well, yeah, mini yeah. podcast well, between us two as we exactly, basically yeah. discuss maybe each other's maybe reviews. Maybe there needs to be like a third channel, a sort of crossover. Mm. That would be battle, amazing. like rap battle yeah. version. Okay, yeah. I have to organise that. As mentioned, the British TV industry has been a buzz over the past, I guess, 24 hours with the nominations for the TV BAFTAs. So if no one's seen anything, <laughs> Boyd, what's the top news? Who's doing well? Who's up there? I'd say the headline news, the most nominations have been joint six nominations each for two shows which have got a lot in common. They're both on BBC One. They're both about great British institutions. Mm. They've both got magnetic central performances by, let's face it, men. Uh, and um, they're both absolutely brilliant, which are This Is Going To Hurt with yes. Ben Whishaw and The Responder with Martin Freeman. And they do. It, I think it is interesting how much they have got in common, these two kind of giants of last year's TV dramas uh, world. So they've both got six each. Then you've got with five each are Bad Sisters, The Crown, slightly surprisingly, I think, mm. because I mm. think The Crown was a bit of a mixed um, it sort of was. But I think a lot of the nominations that The Crown has, most of them are in the... And in the Costume right. design, right. I think, with the exception of being Croft, Croft Awards, yeah, yes. with the exception of being Imelda Staunton, yes. And um, yes. Bad Sisters, brilliant series on, yeah, on Apple Hogan. TV. Is yeah. that sort of the first arrival of Apple TV into the BAFTA world? I think they've had nominations before, but this is certainly the ones where it's most stands out the most yes. to me. And I think what's interesting is actually Netflix got more nominations than ITV. Oh. And that was a surprise to me because mm. even though, of course, Netflix have got considerable amount of money, um, ITV are known for drama. They are the yeah. home of drama. Well, interestingly, Chris Lang today, I don't know if you saw on Twitter, the, the creator of Unforgotten, mm. fantastic Unforgotten, did, I would say, complain, or at least he, he mentioned the interesting anomaly that ITV has only got four, I think, nominations in scripted oh, wow. categories. Yeah. I mean, not not overall, yes, but in those scripted mm. categories, as opposed to loads of BBC Channel 4, mm. etc. And I think he is rightly, rightly a kind of suggesting there is a certain snobbery still mm. towards ITV, particularly when it comes to drama. Do you think that's also a bit of flow? Have they sort of saved a bit too much for ITVX? Maybe. Yeah, that's a good not- point. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think, yeah, already this calendar year, we've seen quite a few pretty good ITVX shows. Mm. I would say that. Yeah, that's true. But just to say as well, that Slow Horses, another mm. Apple TV Plus, yes. also got five nominations. So Apple TV Plus has done very well. And The English, which is one of my favourites, the brilliant Western, spectacular Western series, has also been nominated for five. And one more thing, all the shows with boy in the title, <laughs> yes. Big Boys, yes. Somewhere Boy, and yep. Top Boy, all received four each in a weird kind of almost otherworldly situation. And I was on a show the other day and they were saying that it's either boys have yeah. been nominated, the boy or boys, or the word the, like the traitors, the, <laughs> yeah. the English, the yeah. responder. Yeah. I don't think the word the is that interesting compared to <laughs> well, boy. Well, I'm I think trying. boy is more of... <laughs> Standout, but this point. is what our chats are like yes. all the time. By the does, way, does this suggest that Boyd Hilton well, is up for awards this well, year? I mean, that should oh, wow, be yeah. but tragically, awards. Who knows? Tragically, the boy Boyd is not is mm. not met, has not led to the Boyd yet. Yes. Yet, it's obviously only a matter of time. Well, we're talking about groupings that have done well, Apple TV, but the BBC they scored the most nominations. Yes. I think eighty one in total. Yes. That's pretty good for them at a time when. We've had a, yeah. a tough few, a tough few weeks. I think a tough few weeks. I think it sort of shows that at the end of the day, you don't need to have the biggest budget. Mm. It always comes down to the writers, and I think if that is the thing that is driving your show a new perspective, that always really tends to do really well in terms of when it comes to the viewers and actually the results. And I think what was interesting, somebody was pointing out the other day that if you look at the best writer for drama, Adam Kay 
for This Is Going To Hurt, Alice Oseman for Heartstopper, Pete Jackson for Somewhere Boy, and Tommy Schumacher for The Responder. All four of them are first-time nominees in that mm. category. I think this was pointed out by Robin Parker. And three of them, this is their first ever TV credit. Mm. So for me, it's the, the the thing that always gets talked about is the benefits of investing in new talent, new perspective, and new writers. For me, this is the conclusive proof. Do you think some of that has come from the battle for scripts has become so tough now between Apple and the BBC and everybody that actually broadcasters are taking more risks and jumping on things mm. for fear that someone else might get it? And so do young writers actually have a better chance now i think certainly the case that is true i think also you're seeing um creators of something maybe in a different media being picked up and mm. then being sort of adapted into a whole new form so for example with alice oseman of course heartstopper was already a really big thing but she was never a screenwriter never screenwritten anything mm. but she really was very particular that when she was working with netflix she was like i have the control of writing the screenplay mm. she was matched with an exec producer who shared her her vision and then she was able to do whatever she wanted so so i think and there probably asks which you couldn't have done if you'd watched into the bbc in 1974 as a, as a <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I guess. No. Yes. I could see I could see that show Heartstopper on like Channel 4 mm. or BB, mm. BBC 2 maybe though whereas I think weirdly I was thinking about this the other day looking through the nominations list this is going to hurt and respond to both feel like classic BBC mm. 1 mm. dramas with a kind of social message and a real kind of texture of activism almost to them. They're both making quite strong points both about the NHS and about policing. I can't imagine those shows on Netflix. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I may, that may just be me. Wouldn't but travel also, as well. But also Heartstopper failed to get any acting nominations. Yeah, that's I think possibly yeah. because of a mentality of, oh, this is a quote-unquote kids show mm. when it, it mm. isn't really. There, yeah. Another snub, actually, Ambika Mod. Um, that's the biggest snub of Which all. was, for me, <laughs> so, shocking. So, so talk about this. So she plays Shutri in This Is Going To Hurt. I think, I mean, Ben Wishaw's great in that. Mm. He's, he's got a nomination, but she was simply the standout. And I think it, she had a role, a character that left you thinking about her for weeks. I think Deadline has understood that she was actually put forward for supporting actress, mm. which does not make sense to me because to me, she was a lead on mm. the same equal parity as Ben, but failed to be nominated. And I think for me, that's a, that's a real shame mm. because she's absolutely incredible. Yeah. Boys, I, any other surprises? I completely agree with Scott on that one. Yeah. But it's interesting in, in that, just in that category to say you're Adelaide Adedire for the Respond, Amory Duff, Bad Sisters, Fiona Shaw and or Jasmine Jobson, Top Boy, Leslie Manville, Sherwood, Saffron Hawking, Top Boy. I feel like there's definitely room in that oh, list yeah, yeah. For, for Ambika Mod, I would say. So Richard Osman on Twitter was a bit upset um, about yeah, how, daytime, that. how daytime TV was covered. He said, why bother mm. having this category? Because some of those shows were more primetime shows. Repair Shop was in there. It was a Repair Shop special, wasn't it? That was primetime, uh, yeah. which is... Which is I guess within the rules, it's the repair shop itself is a daytime mm, origination, mm, mm. but they just have this one-off show. So, but that is odd. And I also think there is a rule in BAFTA Jews where if you don't feel enough shows have achieved a certain quality, right. you don't have to find okay. you know four or five or mm. however many shows there are in let's say the the drama list or whatever. There's more nominees in the acting categories. There's six each in the acting categories. But I, I think I do agree with Richard a bit. I think it's weird that a lot of those. Daytime. I think, I think this morning is. I'm obsessed with this morning. <laughs> you know, I, I, honestly, if I miss this morning, I feel. And I'm actually going to the office two days a week. And I still feel like I have to keep in touch with this morning on my screen. So, I mean, that's know, kind of Martin Frizzell, like huge sort of TV background. I remember, yeah. I remember from TVM yeah. in the 80s and 90s. I mean, they've really come up with a structured, a great structure and great hosts. They really have. Yeah, yeah. you know, Dermot and Allison on a Friday, mm. phenomenal. You know, and. Um, so I do. I, I think he's right about that. It is a bit odd that they've only found three in that category. One of which was went out in prime time. I don't think Richard Osman and the repair shop are going to be sharing 
Christmas cards this year, I felt. <laughs> no. like, the moment that that was like, tweeted, yeah. I was a bit like, oh, okay, no love lost between them two. So, so someone you haven't mentioned who's up for two awards is obviously the late Queen Elizabeth II. One of the, I think it just shows how much of a surreal year in which the party at the palace, which was on during the Platinum Jubilee, has got a nomination and so has the Queen's subsequent mm. funeral mm. three months later under live events. I think, yeah, again, it sort of highlights the, the importance of live events. And this year, I know I keep banging on about it because I'm a fan, but like with Eurovision, that will be the biggest TV event, I think, of the year so far, just because of the amount of resources, the fact that you've got 150 million viewers. But it's also on the same week as the culmination. Mm. And I think that will come through in next year's awards. Of course, another thing that's not on the anything is, of course, Happy Valley. But that is because be it's year. eligible yeah. for next yeah. year. So I can't wait to be celebrating that in June 2024. The weirdest thing about the Queen ones, right, are <laughs> that in the live event category, you've got the Platinum Jubilee versus the state funeral yes which is just weird how yeah. do you decide between those yeah how, what honestly I that's find a that, tough pack that's a tough jury to be a on tough isn't it jury well i would love to have been a flow in the and i, and I can confirm i wasn't on that jury <laughs> okay narrows it down um, from to about 140 categories yeah, yeah yeah i mean how do you judge those things it's it's fascinating so the BAFTA tv awards ceremony takes place on the 14th of may and will be hosted by rob beckett and romish ranganathan this year good host choices by the yeah, way great funny people that i always say you know award shows need to be hosted by committee Comedians, not actors who are a bit nervous. And yes. I wonder whether they're going to shake up the format in the same way they did with the film awards because mm. it did well in the ratings. It was up two million in two years with Alison Hammond and Richard yeah. E. Grant. I know it wasn't everyone's cup of tea, but I was. I never understand why there's a two-hour delay because well, it's so simple. Oh, it's mad. You go on your phone, mad. and especially because they had the last four were live, yeah, exactly. emphasising how exciting it is to have them live. Mm. Yeah, yes. that was weird. make them live. Yeah, but then of course you get into the whole thing of which awards can you not yeah. include in the live bit because otherwise the ceremony is three hours long. Yeah, Alison um, Hammond should just have been the co-host, shouldn't she? <laughs> yeah, that was 100%. the thing. Rather than off-stage well, interviewing well, well, Jerry Halliwell. Well, now with a kind of, of a, a bake-off upgrade, maybe that will that will You'd happen. Think. So taking a look at some of the bigger picture in TV trends, uh, analysts have been predicting that streaming spend and content is going to be slowing down this year. A news report on Tuesday from media analysis firm Moffat Nathanson predicts flattening in 2023 after two years of double-digit content spending. So all of the streamers have been spending loads of money up to now. Suddenly, the economy has shifted. Maybe their subscription numbers have slightly drifted too. And they're all having a bit of a rethink. Scott, is this going to affect any of the streamers or is there actually enough content for us to be getting on with? Well, I don't know about you, Boyd. I'm quite keen to hear your opinion. It feels like there are fewer shows, fewer big shows out now compared to, let's say, a year and two years ago. I think also you're seeing fewer prestige shows. I mean, shows that are could be phenomenal, but will be watched by relatively few people. You know, it's just sort of done as a big creative sort of throwing things against the wall. It seems to be a lot more of a strategy, a lot more focus but releases seems to be a little bit fewer and further between. But I think if you look at the, the wider market, I mean, you're seeing Disney making $5 billion in costs and cutting 7,000 jobs, user streaming losses. You've got NBC Universal sort of saying, look, you know, because of people cutting their cord in the US, we're finding it harder to have revenue. We don't really need to get into everything that's happening at Warner mm. Brothers Discovery. But you're seeing even Netflix, you know, focusing now on prof profitability rather than growth at all costs now. That just naturally trickles down to the viewer. And I think other factors being the cost of living crisis, rising inflation, people are going, why do I need to have five or so subscription services mm. if I'm already paying for the license fee anyway? So I will still be watching something 
at the end of the day during the evening. I mean, it is also, is this part of the kind of the Apple TV effects? I mean, they've been the streamer that has kind of the least in volume, no real back catalogue, everything's their own stuff. Their hit rate has been pretty phenomenal. Yeah, I think so to some extent. I also think it is reached, it was always going to be the case that Netflix as as the market leader in the streaming world was going to reach a peak mm. of commissions and it there you know there was a time when every single week there was like three or four <laughs> yeah. new Netflix things and they could only ever publicize really, mm. you know, one of those things every couple of weeks. And it feels like it's slowing down now. And also that they're not on, on the on the slightly darker side of things. They're not there's a lot of stuff they're not recommissioning. A lot of, you know, quite good I felt anyway. Bold brave shows that haven't been recommissioned. Do you think that's because figures gradually drift down, yeah. no one's coming into them, so we can stop at three seasons? I think they're being pretty strict, even two seasons, I would say more. In generally in TV, you know, a lot of TV execs over the years that I've spoken to have said it's either viewing figures or awards, you mm. know, they're looking for. So if something's going to be so high quality that it might not get reach a certain number of viewers, just for the inherent nature of it, it might be particularly edgy or whatever. Mm. But if it gets awards attention, then they're delighted. I don't think Netflix is that bothered about awards attention. They, right. are, they seem to be in the film business. They commission a lot of huge films in the hope they'll get Oscars. Mm. Or, or, and that's or probably Baptist. a bit about competing for talent as yeah, well. Like we're a nice home yeah. for your prestige pro- project. Exactly, exactly. But I feel like in the TV business, they're, they're pretty harsh when it comes to stuff that's not getting the numbers they expected mm. it to. And I know a lot of creators of TV who are like waiting, you know, like in three or four just happens in the last kind of fortnight. So waiting to hear mm. from Netflix and they're kind of, you know, waiting to know whether they're going to be recommissioned or not. And Scott, we've also seen Netflix sort of dive into the sort of cheaper end of things, haven't we, with kind of reality and fact end stuff, which historically... They weren't really doing. No, but I sometimes think to myself that could be potentially shooting them themselves in the the foot because the there was a go go there for that. <laughs> well, I mean, like for example, cheats. It's a good quiz show presented by Danny Dyer, but this feels like something that you would have on BBC One Saturday night, mm. possibly even daytime. So it makes your shows less distinctive generally because it seems like what you're providing is exactly what everywhere else is providing mm. and i think that don't get me wrong you can't pigeonhole yourself in only doing high quality dramas particularly as as boyd rightly pointed out people might not hang about for them but at the same time if you focus too much on on other formats and reality and people go, well, why am I paying for this? Because I don't think it's... they care about being distinctive. I just don't. I think they just don't give a, give a damn about that now. I think it's like they'll just, try anything and everything. Reach everyone. But it every shows. genre. But it shows and it shows a but, desperation. And then you just go, why I am think, I doing this? I, yeah, but I think it's, you know, for the BBC, they have to be distinctive in theory, right? The public yeah. service broadcasters. But I, don't, I think for Netflix, it's we will literally try anything. You know, they do a lot of, don't they, kind of erotic thriller series, <laughs> yes. which they're guaranteed to get a certain number of eyeballs. People will pick, and it's, uh, there's no great mystery as to why people are watching those shows but they've got work for channel five exactly they've got you know quite a few of those shows and equally you know if if they have to have some reality shows which are slightly ruder and cheekier and Mm. can be slightly more 15 rated than Mm. pg rated maybe yeah they'll go down that route but i I think being distinctive is not an issue for it doesn't feel that way to me do you think any of these changes uh is good news for public broadcasters does it give them a bit more room or actually we still like hovering at peak tv I think the pressure on the public broadcasters, I mean, the, remember the insane period we went through with Channel 4 where you know, we were told by someone that Channel 4 should be privatised because it faces the threat of the streamers, which was complete mm. I mean, nonsense. even then it was a yeah. loopy suggestion. Yeah, it was a loopy, and now right. it's like, how on earth will exactly. we ever be able to make money? The reality is, is that all of the big, the giants of, BBC, of broadcasting, the, the old school channels, BBC Channel 4, ITV, are, are doing co-productions with the streamers anyway, and a lot of co- or co-productions with the, the premium cable channels, with HBO and Showtime, etc. Mm. I think it feels less pressure to me 
from from the old school broadcasters to kind of face the might of these huge mm. budget shows because actually in the end and I think the, going back to the BAFTA list you know the BBC can be very happy with the fact that they've got some massive shows that punch through that this is going to hurt and the responders etc in this world we're living in now where they face rival streaming rivals with huge budgets and also I think for, for BBC ITV and Channel 4 they've kind of got their streaming shit together haven't they mm. yeah they're in a much better place for all of that stuff, understanding audiences. Well, I think I, ITV still got an uphill battle mm. with ITVX. It, it sort of now it's arrived and the product's better. I think a lot of people are thinking, okay, you should have done this about four years ago, and, mm. and I think it's still a game of catch up. I think also for the BBC, I mean, the license fee freeze is still not doing them any favors, mm. and they have been very adamant and pointing out quite clearly, look, we're going to be having fewer programs and fewer shows going forward. So it'll be interesting of course, with the license fee renewal, but also with how much inflation is going to be affecting the license fee. The cost of drama is still going up. So they partner with streaming services. But if streaming services then go, oh, actually, we're not investing in these genres anymore because we're now keen on doing other forms of maybe cheaper programs, that can actually come to the BBC's disadvantage. Mm, have so a knock it's, on. Yes, it has a knock on. So I wouldn't say it's all rosy, but I'd say the BBC are happy that I guess particularly younger people, might not be willing to spend as much money on a Netflix subscription. Well, one thing the BBC have been doing is investing in a, a move in Birmingham. This is the move from the mailbox to the tea factory. Yes. Uh, which is the old Typhoo Tea building. Also, lots of other production companies are joining. This week, it was announced that there's going to be a new movie studio. This is to film Peaky Blinders movie, which will create 700 jobs. Construction is expected to finish on the Digbeth Lock Studios in July, with filming set to start in October. Uh, and also around the area, we've got MasterChef moving and new drama, This Town as well. There's a lot happening in, in Birmingham. I mean, it seems that the last BBC move was a bit, let's just move HR and think that that's going to be <laughs> yeah. okay. Yeah. But there's a, a Radio 1 Newsbeats up there and a, mm. a chunk of One Extra and Asian Network. They seem to be really going for it up there. I think it also you know, suits the fact that the BBC fits Tim Davies' vision for mm. what he said about having the regions and, and nations more supported. I think it also makes Ofcom happy because they get to, or the BBC then gets to say to Ofcom, look, you know, we are spending across the country. I think for the BBC, it allows them to compete with Channel 4 because mm. Channel 4, of course, are investing a lot in Leeds, but mm. also across the country. So I think it can only be a good thing. What I find really interesting is that whenever I do any radio interviews, for example, you can now have it where the, the contributors and the presenters, and there's a very obvious thing to say mm. in the age of Zoom, but you can have a high quality production with everybody, the producer in one part of the country, presenters in different various parts of the country, and it still somehow comes together. Mm. Like when I do Five Live, my co-host is in Manchester, yes. about 400 miles away. You don't really know mm. that he's in a similar base studio at the other end of the country. Mm. I mean, Boyd, one of the benefits of this is different voices on the air, more production resource, people you know, training, new developments in other places. I mean, that's got to be a, a good thing, hasn't it? Yeah, completely. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think in scripted shows particularly, you know, it's quite rare to have that Midlands accent and I think you know I saw Stephen Knight the other day at the launch of his version of Great Expectations mm. and he's like a one-man advocate <laughs> for the Midlands isn't he for Birmingham and beyond and it's incredible how it, it, even Peaky Blinders felt like kind of astonishing that it had so many you know mm. accents often being played by people who weren't from that <laughs> yes, but that's, yes. but, and that's just the way that's just the way it is but I know he's particularly excited about the whole Birmingham TV production arm etc mm. and he was you know I think he's opening it, helping to open it or whatever. And his Peaky Blinders film, as you mm. mentioned, is, is going to be there. But in general, that feels like a particular part of the country that needs to be heard and seen more mm. generally on TV. I mean, there are some losers with regional moves. So uh, this week, Reverend Richard Coles has been dropped yes. from, from Radio 4 as they've moved Saturday Live to Cardiff. 
Is it just a realignment? Is it just a little bit unfortunate and you've got to this, suck it up and move on? This feels such a shame to me because Scott was pointing out if he can do five live, mm. you know, from, from your London base, then then why can't Reverend Richard Coles be allowed to do but his you, bit but from if London? You, if, no? you, if you are moving shows there, shouldn't yeah. more of it come from that location? I mean, it sometimes depends on so many different factors about why a show mm. is in one location over mm. the other. Because I think even with Five Live, for example, you know, they try to ensure that a certain amount of their shows are made in Manchester rather than having the presenters all entirely in London. So sometimes there's some sort of bizarre quota that means that for certain shows, you have to have certain presenters in certain locations. And obviously, sadly, this might mm. this might be the case with, with Richard. I think it is sad. Sometimes they choose what shows are going to have to move on a rather random yes. basis. And I do feel for him that it feels, I don't know why they've chosen his show. Saturday Live to move. I remember back in the day, of course, when I was on Five Live every week, we used to get the train to Salford. They just insist that we did it in Every Salford. week? Every week, Scott. Yes, those were the days. Extraordinary scenes. Okay, well, thanks to uh, Scott and Boyd. Uh, there's more from them. In a little while, we're going to be talking AI and the media quiz. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In this week's Deep Dive, we're going in on the TikTok shutdown. Joining us is journalist and author James Ball to explain the recent backlash against the social media app and what might happen next. So the concern is who owns it. Yes. And it is, of course, one of very, very few Western big tech giants that's actually owned by a Chinese parent company. Mm. And of course, the nature of business in China is that if you are a major business in China, you are controlled to a reasonable degree by the government. Yes, you don't often disagree with the government if you're an operator. You tend not to, no. no. Um, and China does have laws saying that companies in China are obliged, if requested, to hand over data from across the world. And so there are concerns about the Chinese government using TikTok to get information. Now, there's a little bit of hypocrisy there mm. um, because, you know, as Edward Snowden revealed, the US was very happy to do the same with its tech giants. So there is a little bit of a case of the USA accusing everyone else of acting like it does. 
But on the other hand, I think most of us do have privacy concerns around that. Because there, there is some stuff with some, the balancing act. with some of these apps that they can basically track every keystroke. And and some of that is just, it's built in, it's APIs that they've, they've kind of taken off the internet just for the good running of the app. But it can obviously send stuff back home that could be useful, particularly yeah. like in-app browsers and that sort of stuff. And TikTok's got a particular problem in that it actually did try to use the app to find a journalist's sources. Ah. The not-for-profit I still work at for another month, uh, the Bureau of <laughs> Investigative Journalism, we banned it from reporters' phones. It, it was a very bad bit of PR for TikTok when that came out. But how much is the American thing, that security worry, versus just politics, and that China is is the boogeyman again? It's politics. I mean, Chinese-owned companies control quite a lot of major CCTV systems mm-hmm. in the UK, and are quite central in things like phone infrastructure. That's real concerns. This is largely politics. And America has a complicated relationship. They want to beat up on big tech, but it's American-owned. Mm. And most of the jobs are in America. And so a tech giant... And a lot of their donations are coming from those tech yeah, giants and so well. a tech giant that they can kick around is quite mm. handy. Uh, although there's quite a double standard to it, really, because... You've got Facebook, who've got this dominant market position and a, a sort of everyone's favourite bogeyman. And TikTok are their and main some, competitor and, I, and main challenger. And Facebook's done some dreadful things. Yeah. If we want better algorithmic accountability, we should do it for all of big tech. And we really should do that, yes. you know. But, you know, I don't think we can go, well, this algorithm's American, so it's patriotic and good. And this <laughs> if it's a red, white and blue algorithm, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas if it's just red, it's trouble. Yeah, um, you need to have some kind of sane standards. Well, I mean, it's interesting. But back to kind of the media having to grapple with this, and obviously the BBC have a slightly strange rule in that they've said that they sort of want it off staff phones unless you use it for work. Yes, <laughs> which is a kind of odd combination. I mean, it it is this thing of I think should you have, especially if you cover technology. Should you have it on your phone when you go and meet confidential sources? Mm. Probably not. Could you have a different work phone to make TikToks on than one that you would take out into the field on reporting Mm. trips? Probably yes. And I imagine that's what people who sort of do reporting and make TikToks will do. Because also, if people were on TikTok two years ago, TikTok now is a bit more serious. Yes. You know... News isn't just people dancing and doing funnies. There's quite a lot of quite serious well, content. The Ros- Although there's some horrendous conspiracy stuff on there. I mean, the Ros Atkins stuff from the BBC's done well. Max Foster at CNN has built a really large kind of TikTok audience as yeah. well. Environmental news goes really okay, huge on there as well. There's sort of proper content on it. And mm. it is this tricky relationship where newsrooms are having to work out how to try and be on an outlet that when they don't actually trust the company behind it necessarily. Mm. Because it's important <laughs> for the audience, because yeah. that audience is, is huge and growing. And also, it's traditionally a very hard news mm. audience to reach. You know, teens and people in their 20s, if you can get them, you know, watching 90-second news clips, obviously, you've got to produce for TikTok. You can't mm. just clip out. But that's a lot more news than people were reaching sort of 10 years ago when, you know, I was at things like BuzzFeed and Mm. tried to reach people there. 
I mean, TikTok have responded to the BBC's ban by saying, we believe these bans have been based on fundamental misconceptions and driven by wider geopolitics. We remain in close dialogue with the BBC and have committed to working with them to address any concerns that they have. I mean, is, there isn't that much more they can do, is there? No. And I suspect some of these bans will sort of prove short-lived. I think TikTok has a genuine reassurance job to do after the attempts to track journalist sources. Mm. You know, that is the kind of behaviour that really, really riles editors. And they've done a good start by firing the people concerned, mm. but they are going to have to accept that actually a bit of caution from newsrooms isn't necessarily anything to do with the geopolitics fuss yes. that's going on. You know, there's a legitimate question mark over them for that. As you mentioned, you're finishing up at the Bureau for Investigative Journalism next month, just as your new book... The Other Pandemic, How QAnon Contaminated the World comes out. That must be exciting. It's very exciting. In fact, we finally, finally got the last changes through the lawyers. Right. Uh, it mm. turns out writing a book about sort of, you know, anti-Semitic conspiracy Mad theories people. and incitement to violence and all sorts of and global satanic paedophilic conspiracies. <laughs> you get some really interesting legal notes. <laughs> I think one of my one of my favourites was um, the director of the WEF, you know, the World mm. Economic yes. Forum, Davos, has had all sorts of allegations sort of in there. And, um, you know, one of the notes from the lawyers was, please, can you make it clear that Klaus Schwab does not murder children? <laughs> <laughs> it's like I hadn't meant to imply he did. I was just including the allegations. I just sort of assumed people would believe that, but obviously they don't, don't they? That's, that's part of the problem. Well, it's just one of those legal notes that you just like... Yeah, okay, fair. Oh, I <laughs> Can't really argue with that one. That was James Ball. You can catch the full conversation by signing up as a patron of the show. All you've got to do is go to patreon.com slash mediapod, where you'll find uh, the interview with James, plus loads of full-length interviews too. Right, time for a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be back after this to cover more AI news, as well as the media quiz. And we're back with Scott and Boyd for part two of the media podcast. So over in Hollywood, the Writers Guild Association is preparing for its first strike action in 15 years. If it goes ahead, many projects across Hollywood will grind to a halt. A bit of everything, really. Telly, film, even late night talk shows have had problems with, with writers. And one of the issues under deliberation is about how AI material impacts writers' credits and residuals. The WGA has proposed a writer would maintain credit and residuals even if they are simply polishing or rewriting a script generated by a machine. So I had this conversation quite randomly with someone who showed me some AI, mm. showed me like an article that was written by a bot on um, chat. What's it called? ChatGPT. Chat, yeah, ChatGPT. I was going to say ChatBG, yeah, my, <laughs> BGT, Britain's Got Talent. And my, and my immediate question was, well, this is very impressive and everything, but the content it's creating must come from somewhere. Yes. This thing did not invent, you know, the stuff. And it is all drawn from different sources mm, mm. on the internet, much as have the giants of the online world been drawing on sources all the time. I mean, as a as a 25-year now veteran mm. of the old print world, I'm still we're still printing our magazine every week. It's still going, you know. In fact, more than one magazine I work for. I'm particularly sensitive to the idea mm. that these these bots are just going to hoover up our content and churn it out into some chat GBT thing. Is there any part of the tools that you think would be useful for the Macs? No. 
Because I tell you why, because I feel my job is under threat from a robot. And you know, at some point, probably in twenty years' time, maybe even less, maybe in like two years' time, you know, they'll throw, Oh, we can get, you know, so and so robot to do some TV mm. reviews, mm. Scott, and um, it'll be devastating. So right now, I'm giving a very strong line that this is of no use whatsoever. So you'll be on the picket line I with the WGA. Absolutely on the picket in line. In Hollywood. Yes. Well, I heard on Commode and Mayo's podcast, mm. The Take, that they had a letter sent in from somebody and they only realised afterwards that it had been written by AI. Yes. Then they had an AI expert who emailed them and said, what that does is like what AI does, and this is the way I've sort of been thinking about it, is it allows you, if you say, write a review of this old show, it will be able to sort of yeah. clamber together a review. But however, if you say, right, here is a new show, like review the next succession, review this brand new program, it wouldn't be able to come up with anything. And I think that's the difference with AI. It's great at essentially regurgitating information that's already out there. But when it actually comes to creative new decisions, that's where it can really fill in what a human being does. So that's why I always think that, yes, the threat to journalism could be for writers who are writing general subjects that could be timeless. But when it comes to writing a new perspective or following up, I just, I this is me saying something yeah. and then hoping that it actually doesn't mm. go the other way. But I just don't think it will be able to go and fill that up. But also I think it's sometimes not very good for the readers because, like, for example, BuzzFeed, you know, recently mm. said we're going to be having lots of articles. Full clarification, I used to work at BuzzFeed. <laughs> but then I sort of think if I'm reading a lot of AI, knowing that a human being has not written this, sometimes you want to read something that you know is from someone's perspective or has some real talent in it and makes you feel something. And if it's just done by a bot, it just loses any interest. But is it me. something that's actually good as a tool for writers rather than thinking of the end product? Like actually mm. doing some research and some, some background information. You know, we use Google to check out things. If a chatbot is generating the right information that you either you check or you can you can tell is correct or not, that that speeds up your writing. Or you, you can do more content because you've got that as a tool. Possibly. It's really hard to work out where trends are going to go and what people are going to be mm. using things for, I'd say. And it's like, for example, when, I know this is a bit of a tangent, but then when Mark Zuckerberg said, oh, you know, we're all going to be living in the metaverse. Yes. And then the metaverse ends up being a bit shit. <laughs> so like, I just, sometimes when people say, oh, GDP is going to change everything we go and say and do, I'm a bit like, is it? Yeah. Have Let you me seen see. the metaverse ads telling us that it's going to be great and it's really great, really, because it's really changing our lives in the real world? So someone said that if you go into the metaverse, basically it's children who are using their parents' logins, oh, being can't. sort of like calling each other's poo head and things oh. like that. So oh it's God, sort of somewhat it's degenerating. And it yeah. costs $30 billion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. When I get to uh, write that huge article about Poohhead coming up in the uh, next Netflix series. Well, no, just we'll ask... Which Ch will be cancelled immediately okay, by exactly. them. Yeah, just basically. ask ChatGPT and it yeah. will, it'll help you yeah. out. But yeah. should there be a BAFTA category for like machine learning scripts <laughs> for things God. that have been people, that writers that have been assisted oh, by no. AI? Please, God, no. No. That, but Scott's point is absolutely valid. That the reason why there won't be a mm. BAFTA category for chat for bots written shows is because that human element is what makes these things magical. The real magic comes when you're when there's a rug pull. Mm. You know, however you begin writing a show or whatever, which I don't think an AI version could ever achieve. An AI is not going to come up with that completely kind of out of le left field way of writing something that human beings do, and that's what makes great writers particularly mm. I'm concerned with and including journalists by the way so important 
in my opinion. We'll see how it does. And as long as it doesn't get into podcasting, we're all fine. <laughs> You're right. No, actually, just this week. Yes, the production company made a, a podcast. And I listened to it. And it was more unsettling than any other creepy podcast that I've ever listened to. Just so, because you so, know it. So, so they say. What's the show called? So it's called Synthetic Stories. And not only has a script been made by AI, but also the music, the artwork accompanying the podcast, the description, and then even the press release entirely written by AI. Amazing. So wow. unsettling. Mm. Whether it's any good. I mean, I was listening to it and I was thinking, okay, this is... Da, 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 but I, it's like you can't get over the fact that it's been written by AI rather than engaging in the content, if mm. that makes sense. Would it suit something like a true crime story, actually? Or, or are there genres that a synthetic voice and script supports? Ooh. There was a spoof true crime. I mean, there's been probably more than one, but there's mm. been a couple, at least one very funny spoof true crime podcast that just kind of amalgamated all the kinds of cases <laughs> and all the, the ways of the throaty narrator kind of style of serial, etc. that did a brilliant job. So I guess like the, the AI version would be something like that. It would yeah. come across as a satire or a spoof. But that's you know, got, as you say, Scott, the most interesting thing about that podcast, for example, is, is its origin, is the fact that it is AI mm. rather mm. than the content itself. Yes. And that's, I think, that is the difference. Uh, so let's move on. I know you've all been waiting for it. The media quiz. Yeah. I've got three questions this week about launches that okay. happened across the media industry this week. Yeah. So if you know the story, buzz in with your name and give me the answer. So Boyd will say. Boyd. And Scott will say. Scott. No uh, internet delays. This is the, the purest version. Oh, yeah. Version this is always the, the thing. Quiz. I'm buffering. I'm yeah, buffering. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. TV experts. So we made it tougher this week. Which media production company has launched a new documentary label? Boyd. Fremantle. What's the name of the label? It is Undeniable. Yes. Which is a, a kind of a brilliantly hilarious name for it. So. <laughs> uh, and so it's going to be dedicated to producing premium feature documentaries and series. Yeah. I mean, Fremantle, obviously, a huge uh, operation. You sort of, weren't they doing elements of this anyway? Yeah, they were. They've, all, they've done, you know, some pretty good documentaries um, in recent times. They did Mrs. America. They've got Kim's Video, which I'm fascinated to see because Kim's Video Store in America was mm. one of my favorite places I used to go and I used to go to New York and it, and it left when people stopped buying VHSs yes. basically <laughs> so that's a documentary I'm going to be looking out for and they've got lots of really interesting they've got stakes in 72 films who made the all or nothing Arsenal series mm. which as an Arsenal fan mm. I massively appreciated disaster they have not doing it this year of course when we're about to win the league <laughs> anyway what I think the bigger interesting element of this whole story is that documentaries are so have completely ballooned it seems to me the number of documentaries mm. now mm. and that much bigger business than perhaps they were a few years ago and now it's a whole you know there's a documentary about probably everything you can think of coming out on a, on a weekly monthly basis what I find out at the moment there's been like with Channel 4 they've done a lot of documentaries that make you realise that society values have changed in a very short space of time so there's mm. that Paula Yates documentary that yeah. was airing last week but then directly before George Michael outed which looked at the homophobia that he received through the national press back in the 80s and early 90s so I, I think that I mean this has been a trend that's been now around but I think it's, it's a lot of people find it very fascinating because you can spin it in so many different ways, from from Jade Goody to to reality TV. There are two different documentaries about Boris Becker coming out. There's one on ITVX and one on Apple TV Plus. So yeah, I mean now there's, you're going to get multiple documentaries about the same subject. Well, so certainly there's definitely now the space for these things, so, so yeah. they don't have to fit in certain scheduled program spots uh, and that you can find places for them. Mm. Uh, right, question number two. Which organisation known for record keeping launched its first ever TV channel this week? 
Scott, is it Guinness World Records? It is Guinness World Records. This is GWR Studios. Yeah. Their sort of video TV operation. They're launching a fast channel with US streamer Atmosphere. And with shows such as GWR Gone Viral launching on the network alongside shows that focus on sports or fitness record breaking. I find that with Guinness World Records, right? Like, I thought growing up that you had to have some superhuman achievement to go and get them. <laughs> and then you actually read the blooming thing, and it's like the man who, you know, like, broke the most eggs in two minutes. And it's like, I've realised that it's so arbitrary about what counts as a record-breaking achievement. Uh, don't, anyway, that's me now. That's <laughs> it. Go at them. No, no records for you. Okay. Uh, what's quite interesting about Guinness World Records, and with my fun kids hat on, we've had a few Guinness World Records ourselves. They are really strict on the rules. So it can be something that is a little random. Yes. Uh, catching the most balls in three minutes in a garden or something but they test it and they send someone and they want to make absolutely sure so there is an actual adjudicator with a clipboard who looks very serious yeah so you can have those you can like film it yourself but basically there's gonna be a lot of evidence it actually happened and wasn't are you saying you're a record breaker the radio station is and the presenters are but sadly i did have a go once at trying to do one of them and what did he do it was it was something like icing the most buns in (laughs) two minutes or something like that so to speak. Yes. Uh, we went through a lot of icing for not a lot of success. I can wow. just imagine you just during the preparation stages. Mm. Well, I was, I was just this. watching all the presenters doing it and failing. failing and I was like, I can do this. <laughs> I, I'm sure I can do this. No, I can't do it. Okay. Right. Question number three. It's one apiece. This one for the win. Uh, which streaming company announced plans to launch 40 new games by Boyd. the end? Boyd. Netflix. Just yes. in case they're not getting enough mentions on this edition. So uh, they've been doing gaming for a, a little while. It kind of takes it up to 70 games in development at Netflix. Have you played any Netflix <laughs> I games? Gonna, I was going to say, who knew? <laughs> I, I certainly didn't until I saw this story. And no, I haven't played any of their games. I mean, they've got TV shows that were kind of like a game, didn't they? The yeah. Black Charlie Procure, Mirror, yeah, yeah, yeah. Special. But yeah, I haven't played any of that. I'm not a, a particular gamer, I have to say. It doesn't particularly thrill me, the story. But it is weird how mm. they're going into the gaming market in a big way. And that one of the games they've got coming up is based on as Scott was talking before about their attempts at reality TV their dating show Too Hot to Handle is going to be turned into a and turned into a game how's that going to work? No idea <laughs> but also like I was trying one the other day because I was on Apple TV that's what how I watch a lot, a lot of my TV and then there was one big thing on the banner that says try this interactive game and I pressed it and then it said your device is not compatible yeah. You can't play it, right. sorry. Because I think a lot of the, a lot of these games are sort of iOS, app, Android kind of mobile Yeah, so you games, have to try mobile or via a smart TV. Right. On Only on so, some smart mm. TVs. I mean, Netflix, I guess, are investing in them because they see them as a brand extension. Mm. And it allows them to retain the IP. I guess also it's a good thing for creatives because they get to have their show mixed up in, in a way. And I guess bring people closer to the programs that they love. Mm. I think a frustration I find is that you can sometimes overthink things and that people at the end of the day, they watch TV sitting back, not sitting forward. I mean, we all get sit forward if we're tense, but we don't really want to be touching a remote every two Mm. minutes, apart from maybe if you're with your friends. So sometimes I'm a bit like... Will it actually pay off? Will people be subscribing for games on Netflix? I just not, I'm not so sure. Well, well done, Boyd. Uh, you're the winner of the media quiz Thank today. You. you win the ability to chair the BAFTA AI panel. Congratulations. <laughs> My dream <laughs> come true. And where can people keep up with uh, your writing? Well, I am every week in Heat Magazine, every month in Empire Magazine, old school print <laughs> 
product still going everyone and from all good news agents and some bad ones too exactly on twitter and as my name boyd hilton and on the Punk tv podcast which is a bit similar to the uh, musty podcast but obviously better other podcasts are available yeah. scott how can people read and listen to you i'm tweeting into the void every day <laughs> on scotty gb and then it's just a bit random at the moment <laughs> and oh you know because because there's like you have visions coming up so i'll be writing a lot about about that Basically, but you can't. I should be your agent. You've got a column in Variety. Yes, that showbiz bible. Thank Come you. Come on. Yeah, I've got that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I find promotion weird. And, and again, available from uh, a small selection of news agents, Variety <laughs> yeah. in the UK. Yeah, yeah and, and online, and online. Yeah, online, yeah, my, yeah. yeah things yeah. online. Thanks both, and thanks to you for listening to us today. We do really appreciate it. We've also been recording at the very swanky London. Pop- Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Podcast Studios in central London, which has a full HD fixed rig and more. We highly recommend them. Why not book your next recording here? The London Podcast Studios.com. That's the London Podcast Studios.com. And there's a link in the show notes. And if you enjoyed the show, remember you can become a patron of it at patreon.com slash mediapod, where she'll be able to access a huge range of deep dive interviews, including the one we recorded today with James, all about TikTok. And if you don't have have the spare change even though i know you do why not give us a plug on social media twitter or linkedin the thing to do is say how brilliant it is and also to drop the url podfollow.com slash the media podcast because by clicking that people can find the show on their app of choice my name is matt deegan the producer was matt hill with support from phoebe adler ryan and Anna Lise freemark it was a rethink audio production i'll see you next week